parts of what we're going to see in Belgian Confession Article 2 concerning how we know God. And the answer comes both in terms of his work of creation and then also his work of redemption, his revelation of the law of the will of or of the word of scripture. And both are covered in Psalm 19, a psalm for the director of music and a psalm of David. This psalm divides in half at verse 6 and 7. So verses 1 through 6 extols the revelation of God in creation, and then the verses 7 through the end they extol the revelation of God in his word. Let's hear together these words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech, and night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion. Like a champion rejoicing to run his course, it rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. That's for the reading of God's holy word. Then to Belgic Confession, Article 2 in our Forms and Prayers books, that's page 153. In our Trinity Psalter hymnals, it's page... 855, Article 2, the means by which we know God. We're going to consider these things with a greater emphasis on the first part insofar as we will be thereafter in Articles 3 and following up to Article 7 dealing with the question of Scripture itself, of its authority, of its inspiration, of its sufficiency. So we'll have certainly lots of opportunity to think about why the Bible is what we say it is. But first we're going to uh, hear how God makes himself known to us in Article 2 of the Belgic Confession. So we confess this, that we know God by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, gov and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God by his eternal power and his divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1, verse 20. All these things are enough to convict men and to leave them without excuse. Second, he makes himself known to us more openly by his holy and divine word, as much as we need in this life for his glory and for the salvation of his own. This the church does believe.
brothers and sisters of Jesus in Jesus Christ. When we began this series on the Belgian Confession in Article 1, then we noted something challenging, that when it comes to who God is and proving the existence of God, that sort of thing, we're in a bit of an awkward position in that we cannot drag God down. He is God, and as God, He is wholly other. He is the Creator, and we are the creature. He's not just bigger than us. He's not just more powerful than us. He is holy, 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 which means He is altogether different than we are. This is what distinguishes the Christian religion from so many in this world, where the gods of the nations are just essentially like us, only more powerful, only more human. But God is God, and we cannot drag Him down from heaven. We cannot place Him in the witness box and say to God, now prove that you are who you say you are. You must now answer to us. To do that would to be sit in the position of judge over God. And if we're the judge over God, then God's no longer God. Because then we're more mighty, then we're more significant, then we're more important than He is. But you see, that leaves us with a problem. Since we cannot demand that God come down and give an answer to us of who He is, because we cannot put Him in the witness dock, then how do we know Him? Then how do we know anything about Him? Not just how do we know that He is, how do we know anything about who God is and what God has done? Maybe you noted that, maybe you didn't, maybe you just passed over it, when in Article 1, we described God among other things. We said that He was eternal, unchangeable, that sort of thing, infinite, almighty. We also said that He was incomprehensible. That is, that we cannot comprehend Him. We cannot fit Him inside of our minds. We cannot wrap our arms around Him to make sense of Him. We can't understand Him wholly completely. He's incomprehensible precisely because He is God. And that means you understand that the only way we can ever know anything about God, and this has always been true in all of the history of the world, that's true now, that was true in the days of Abram and Isaac, that was true in the days of Adam and his wife in the beginning before the fall into sin. The only way we can know anything about God is if He makes Himself known to us. See, here's where the, the, the agnostic struggles. We've touched on already atheism, and we will continue to as we go along since we live in a society and a culture that denies these things. We're constantly going to be interacting with these ideas and why they believe what they believe. And we've seen already that in atheism, man wants to put himself above God. But there's a subset of atheism called agnosticism, and it comes from the Greek word meaning to not know, to be unable to know. That's a word that has been used in various ways throughout history, and we won't bother with all of the ways in which it's been used. Today it means that we can't know God, that we can't ever... People are willing to say, you know what, maybe God exists, maybe He does, but there's no way of ever knowing 
We can't figure it out. We can't understand it. We can't learn it. We can't do anything. That's what the agnostic says. And there's a truth there that is worth appreciating. It is true. We cannot know anything about God in ourselves. You can't go on a spiritual quest and find Him. You can't fly up to heaven and interview Him. You cannot know Him unless He reveals Himself to you. Now, this is, this is a simple thing for many of us as Christians who have been steeped in the faith and we know this, but it's important that we connect these things in our minds. That is, that because of who God is, because He's so different, because He's unlike anything or anyone we've ever met before, therefore the only way we can know Him is if He makes Himself known to us. Because then we begin to look around. We begin to ask ourselves, has God made Himself known to us? Has He revealed Himself to us? And when we ask that question, we immediately come to the realization of the confession's wisdom when it says, yes, God has revealed Himself to us in two ways. First, in creation, that which we call general revelation. General because it's given to everybody everywhere. And then second, in the Bible, in special revelation, that is because it's given to the church, to a very specific group of people. God makes himself known, we confess. And he makes himself known, and this is the wonder of it, by doing things. Our God is a God of action. He's a God of power. He's a God who accomplishes things. He's he's not a God that simply gives us ideas, theories, doctrinal truths. He's a God who works. He's a God who accomplishes. Well, He's a God who created, preserves, and governs the universe. And each one of those three words, creation, preservation, and government, is so important to our understanding of who God is. Creation obviously sets us apart from many within this culture who believe that the world was created by a big bang. The problem, of course, with the big bang theory is that you ask, if you ask, where did the stuff at the beginning, the stuff that banged, where did it come from? The answer is inevitably, well, it was eternal. It was always there meaning that it was itself God. And then you say, see, you believe in God. You just believe in a different God than I do. I believe in the God who made all things out of nothing, who created the heavens and the earth by His power. But more than that, the God who preserves this creation. Our God is not like Thomas Jefferson believed, Thomas Jefferson was a deist, and a deist is somebody who thinks that God made this world, turned the crank or, or wound up the spring and then let it go, and now he's off doing all sorts of other things. He doesn't really care what's happening on the earth. He doesn't really know about what's happening on the earth. The earth will function according to the laws that God created for it. Oh no, says the, the church, that's not true at all. God preserves his creation. He feeds the birds of the air. He sends the snow. He sends the spring and the warmth to, to make the ground warm and to, the, to bring forth the, the buds and the, and the plants that are hidden in the ground already. He, he 
preserves our life. He counts the hairs of our heads, we say. He keeps us in His care. Everything that happens in this world is under God's preserving power. And not just that, not only did He make it, not only is He holding it together, He's bringing it to an end. He governs it. The idea of government here means that God is directing everything so that there's coming a day, as we believe, when Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. From the very beginning, we believe, God had an end. He had a goal. He had a purpose for which He made all of this world. And He was bringing everything to it. Everything. That's the remarkable thing. Everything. Not just our soul. Sometimes we think the most important part of us is our soul. And we don't think that animals are important to God or that gravity is important to God or that art is important to God. But it all is. God has created, is preserving, and is governing the entire universe. There are planets and stars that man has not yet ever seen that God knows the name of for he made them and he watches over them. So much so that when we look in the night sky, what we really see is the power of God. That's why the, cat, the, the confession rather can say that all creatures, like we just sang, all creatures great and small are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God. The invisible things of God are his power, his divinity. That's what the apostle speaks of in Romans 1 verse 20. That is to say that all of creation is a testimony of who God is. And that should make sense. After all, we we see that in other respects and other aspects of life. You see a certain vehicle on the road and you can probably, without seeing its badge, identify it either as a Ford, a, a GM product, whatever, whatever company it came from. You can probably identify it Even if you've never seen one of those things before, if it's the newest model, you can say, oh, that looks like that particular brand. Same thing with a a new song that comes out on the radio. You hear the voice, you hear the music. Maybe you've never heard this song before, but it's a familiar singer. It's one you really like, and so you've gotten used to the sound of their voice. And you say, oh, I know who that is. Or you go into the museum or into the art gallery, and you walk through its halls and you see there a a Rembrandt. You see some beautiful painting and maybe you don't even know who made it, but you say, I I can see that 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 artist, that skilled and gifted artist has done a wonderful job. This isn't just paint that fell out of the sky and landed on a canvas. This is the product of a gifted artist. Well, it's no different, is it, when we walk all through creation, when we go and we live within the world that God has placed us in, and we are confronted every day with the majesty and the beauty of God's glorious creation. Sometimes we see it more clearly than others. Sometimes a particularly beautiful sunset strikes us with such power that we glorify God as we sit observing it. Sometimes it's in the birth of a newborn child and the wonder that that is. Sometimes it's in all of life. Sometimes 
we see the glory of God revealed in the world in which we live. And we say, how can anyone miss this? How does, how does the world, how do unbelievers fail to see just how wonderful our God is in all of His world? But what if they don't fail to see it? What if they actually do see it? That may seem strange to say, and if there are those among us who are new to the faith or do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they might say, wait a second, I, I don't see God in creation anywhere. Maybe they do, and they just don't want to admit it. Consider how in all of the history of the world, religion has always worshipped the creature. That ever struck you as odd that you can go to the Royal Ontario Museum, you can go to the Egyptology section, and you can see little gods that were made, little idol figurines that were made that people worshipped or kept in their home, and they're always creational. They're the sun or the moon or a woman or a snake or some other kind of thing. Indeed, isn't that exactly what we do or that humanity does when they want to represent their God? They give Him a, a physical form that we're all familiar with. That is to say that in the history of the world, exclude for a moment the last, let's say, hundred years when all of a sudden man decided that atheism was reasonable. Consider all the rest of the world's history when everybody knew that God existed. Why did they fail to worship the Creator? Why did they choose instead to worship the creation? That's an odd decision, isn't it? Why would you worship the sun, but not the one who struck the match to light the sun? Why would you worship the, the cat and not the God who gave the cat its form? Why would you think that's a God when the God who made it reveals himself to you? In fact, if you study religion, world religions, you, you cannot be but impressed by it. If you study philosophy, philosophy itself is, is, a, is in many respects a persistent attempt by humanity to deny that God exists. If you, if you study the history of philosophy all the way back to the Greeks and the, and the, and the way that they approach the question of who God is, because philosophy, like every other part of society, has known that God exists for a very long time, and philosophers worked very hard to deny that the God, the living God, the God who reveals himself on all, in all of life, that he was the God that is. So much so that you go, that's the only thing that unites all of these philosophical systems. What unites them all is that they deny this God. They have all sorts of different ideas, all sorts of different plans, all sorts of different purposes. But this they are agreed with, that God does not exist. The God of the Bible, that God does not exist. Why not? Why is that the one God that doesn't exist? Why can man worship anything except the Creator? Why can philosophy believe anything except that God exists? You think about the world in which we live and the world that holds to right and wrong. That's the simplest evidence that you need to know that they know God exists because they know there's a right and a wrong. And if there's a right and a wrong, it doesn't matter what the right and wrong is doesn't matter what rules they hold. 
if they have any question as to why there's a, or any commitment to a right and a wrong, all you have to do is ask why. Why is killing you wrong? Because you say it is. That's not enough of a reason. Because your family says you, you, I shouldn't? That's still not enough of a reason. Why was it wrong for Hitler to do what he did in Europe? Why is it wrong for Vladimir Putin to do what he's doing in the Ukraine? You, you need a standard. You need a fixed position. You need something that doesn't move. Something that says this is right for everybody and this is wrong for everybody. And the only person who can provide that is God. So why does the world say, hey, God, we'll take your rules, killing people's bad, but we won't take you. We don't want you. All of which is to say, all of which is only to say, our world knows this God and refuses to believe this God. In the words of R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul once went to a, to a class to speak, or to a club, an atheist club on some university campus, and he began by saying they wanted him to prove that God exists. He says, I don't have to prove that God exists. You know God exists. The problem here is not intellectual. The problem is moral. You refuse to believe in God. And that's why the catechism, including the, or quoting the Apostle Paul or referencing the, the Apostle Paul, can say for to us that all these things are enough to convict men and to leave them without excuse. You see, sometimes people will come to us, sometimes the unbeliever will come to us and say, listen, your God isn't fair. You say, well, why isn't he fair? Well, because he doesn't save everybody. If he was fair, he'd give everybody the same chance to be saved. Well, what do you mean? Well, there are people you know, a thousand years ago that lived in North America, they never heard about the gospel. They never heard about Jesus. They, there was no missionary sent to them. How is it fair, according to Christianity, because all of those native North Americans died in unbelief, and therefore we claim they died and went to eternal damnation. How is that fair? Fair that they should not be saved, that they shouldn't have a chance. They should have been given a chance. If God's fair, he'll give everybody a chance. That's the world's argument against us. The answer is, behold your God. The answer is, the heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament, its power. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the world, their words to the ends of the world. All men everywhere know this God because he's persistently and persuasively revealing himself to them. Which is to say that when we as believers accept this revelation, when we stand in awe of God on that, at that sunset, when we marvel at the birth of a new child, when we find comfort in the plan of God for all of life, we're not foolish. We're not irrational. We're not closing our eyes and pretending, hoping it'll possibly be true. What we're doing is we're seeing with open eyes. We're seeing with clarity. We're seeing with the Spirit's gift to us that enables us to see God's name written across the sky. That when we look up into that night sky and see the Big Dipper and see Orion's Belt and see all of these wonderful constellations, and we say our God is great and greatly to be praised, 
then we are doing what no one by nature, by, by human condition is willing to do. We're seeing the truth. We're not fools for denying evolution. We're not fools because we believe that God exists. We are clear seeing. We are clear thinking. We are redeemed people and to whom God has poured His Spirit so that we might no longer pursue our fool's errands, that we may no longer be like the world, denying the obvious truth that confronts us every day, that we might no longer be like the world that says, I see Him, but I don't want to believe in Him. We are the people who say, I see Him, and I know Him. And I rejoice to believe in Him, this God who has done such marvelous things. Indeed, His creation is only half of the work that He accomplished. God makes Himself known by working, by doing things, by accomplishing things. The first thing He does is create everything, preserve it, govern it. But the second thing is He redeems it. We see the glory of God in all of creation, but we see Him most clearly in the glory of His Son. That's why the confession goes on to say he makes himself known to us more openly by his holy and divine word as much as we need in this life for his glory and for the salvation of his own. You see, we cannot come to know God in a saving way merely by the creation. That is, we can see in creation that God exists. We can see that he's mighty. We can see that he's just. That's why All men struggle with guilt. That's why all men have this conscience problem, this thing that convicts them. That's why they want to say, I don't believe in God and I hate Him because He's so mean. Why is He so mean? Well, because their conscience convicts them that He is going to judge them because they're living in sin, because they're failing to walk in the way of the Lord. And so all they can do is deny Him. All they can do is spend the rest of their life pretending that He doesn't exist, working very hard to scrape away His name from off of the glorious creation that He's made. So how did we come to see Him? We've already noted that the Holy Spirit was poured into our, ours, our hearts to open our eyes and our minds. But why? why? Why did God do that? Why would God send His Spirit? To understand that, of course, you need to understand that God purposed to save for himself a people. That's, after all, what that Bible of which the confession speaks is all about. We're going to see that as we carry on in our study of the written word of God. God has sent to us his son. And he has contained that gospel message in his word. And that divine and holy word tells us everything we need to know about living for the glory of God and for being saved in Jesus Christ. God reveals it very specifically and very directly to us and by that revelation opens our eyes and our hearts to believe. That's the wonder of it. Think think only again in terms of God's word. God's Word formed the creation. God's Word brought all things into being. He said, let there be light, and there was light. God spoke, and it was. God's Word is a powerful Word. God's Word is the Word 
that delivers. That's why John in his gospel can begin. The word, or the, the, the word was made flesh and the word dwelt among us. The word that was with God, that is God. That's the word that was in the beginning. That word is the word of power and of life and of hope. Why do we come to see the truth of who God is? It's not because we're better people. It's not because we were trained better. It's not because we had better schooling. It's not because we had better parents. All of those things hopefully are true. Hopefully our schooling is better because it is led by teachers who have their eyes open. Hopefully our parenting is better because it sees in the light of God's Word the truth of who God is. Hopefully, hopefully we are better. But it's not because we're better that we know these things, believe these things, confess these things, and trust these things. The only reason that we have eyes to see and ears to hear is because God in His Word brought life. The Word made flesh. The Word that died on the cross. The Word that rose from the dead. The Word that ascended to heaven. The Word in all of its redeeming power. Think of those two brothers on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24 and debating these things of Jesus' death and resurrection. And Jesus walks with them and then He opens to them the Scripture. Uh, and He shows them that it's all about Him. And then He breaks bread with them and disappears. And what do they say? Did our ears not tingle? Did, our, did we not, as He spoke to us, did we not suddenly feel the power of His Word? Our hearts were made alive. Our spirits were renewed. Isn't that what Jesus says to Nicodemus? Whoever is born again of water and the Spirit, of the Word and the Spirit. Indeed, the apostle or the John the, the Baptist proclaimed this power of God to save at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is the revelation of God. Indeed, it is in Jesus Christ that we see most clearly, isn't it? That's why the writer to the Hebrews can begin as he does, talking about the ways in which God had revealed Himself in the past, but most clearly and definitively has now revealed Himself to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus could say to the disciples and to Philip, you know the Father, for if you know Me, you know Him. Indeed, that is why we can be confident that in Jesus Christ we have the full revelation that is necessary for the glory of God and for the salvation of His own in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who is contained in the Word, who is the fullness of the Word and the power of that Word, He is the one who opens our eyes to see, to see that our God is gracious, to see that our God is loving, to see that our God is forgiving, to see that our God is great and greatly to be praised. We discern the heart of God when Jesus comes and says, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus comes to us and shows us the truth of who God is. You want to know who God is? See Jesus. You want to know what God has accomplished? Read about, him in, read about Jesus in His Word. And then you will discover the truth of who God is and why it is that we believe so powerfully and so persistently in this God who has redeemed us through His Son. The wonder of it is that God didn't have to do any of this. 
God didn't have to make himself known to us at all. He didn't certainly have to redeem us, but he didn't even have to create us either. He didn't have to show us his glory. He didn't have to further display his majesty. He didn't have to open our eyes and our ears. He didn't have to do any of it, but he did it so that we might stand in awe of him, so that we might glorify him and enjoy him forever, so that we might say, what a great God we have. That's the purpose, isn't it, behind all of this revelation, between all of this giving of God to us. It's not just so that we can know things. It's not so that we can win arguments. It's not so that we can think about ourselves more highly than we are. It is rather so that we might sit back and say, behold, the wonder and love of our God. It is to fill our mouths with joy and our hearts with with praise that the God who is is a God who makes himself known persistently and persuasively, who comes to us and says, here I am, see me, believe me, trust me. Trust me for I have redeemed you in Jesus Christ. Trust me for I have purchased you by his blood. Oh, our world knows nothing of this God as we know of him. They think he's cruel. They think he's a God that condemns, who's quick to catch you out. If you make a mistake, watch out. He's a God that's interested in you feeling guilty about yourself. They don't think of this God as he is because this God wants you to be at peace. He wants you to be assured. He wants you to be comforted. He wants you to know that peace that passes understanding. He wants you to have confidence and comfort. He wants you to have joy and thanksgiving. But we shouldn't give in to our world's pressure. We shouldn't accept our world's terms. We shouldn't believe our world's lies. They don't know God as we know Him. For we know Him as the God who has redeemed us in Jesus Christ. And so never feel foolish about your faith. Never think that it is somehow or another less intellectual, less rational, less understandable. That the world, they're the real thinkers. They really understand what's going on. We Christians, we just close our eyes and hope it's true. No, you see, it is exactly the other way. It is the world that is blind, but the believer who sees. That the child among us who understands the most basic and rudimentary truths of who God is, who at night who tonight does their prayers before they go to sleep and prays to the Father because of the Son, that child knows more of the truth of this world than the smartest intellectual this world has ever known. Because they hear God. They see God. They believe God. The world spends its time denying this God. Let us spend our time praising this God. Let's pray.